So let's read the text in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 37. Every time we go to the Word, we want to read the Word and have it inform us. And as I've mentioned before, many times the Word by itself, just without anything else, speaks completely, powerfully, and timely, in a timely manner. So we read the text. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 37. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Let me just pause for one second. I think we've got a problem with the slides, John. I think we're on the wrong slide. Thank you. So God, so Jesus says, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day left Sodom, fire, but the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed, one will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together, one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Let me just make a quick comment about that last exchange between the disciples and Jesus. That last exchange is a little unclear. The disciples seem to be asking where these people who are taken will go. And Jesus' response seems to be that there will be judgment and death at the end of days. Some folks have used this scripture to talk about the rapture. But the way that this is laid out here and what Jesus responds with doesn't seem to be speaking about the rapture per se. It seems to be simply talking about the fact that there will be a distinction made between people. One taken, one left, or one 
going to judgment, one not. So that's a sufficient statement to be made about that right now. I'm not going into more detail on that because the focus for us to this morning is on the first part of this passage in terms of what Jesus says about the coming of the kingdom. Now in Luke chapter 12, when we were in Luke chapter 12, verses 35 to 59, we considered what it means and how we can be ready for the second coming of the Lord. And we said that readiness, being ready for what the Lord calls us to in this earth, and most importantly for entering into eternity with him, is based on a commitment to faithful stewardship, that we are faithful to be stewards of God. Readiness, being ready in the world today and being ready for eternity, requires taking care of practical needs, being dressed and keeping the lamps burning, being prepared for action at a moment's notice. But one of the things that we talked about when we looked in Luke 12 and what is very relevant for this passage here and a direct connection is that we said that readiness, being ready for the coming of the Lord, is not about how we determine the timing and the details of future events, but rather about how we live in the present. Being ready is not because you know every single detail of when Jesus will come back. Being ready is how we live in the present. And so we said, as we are faithful to live godly lives in the present, we are ready for the suddenlies of God, for the sudden return, for the sudden visitation. But suddenly God does something and we are ready. Why? Because we are living in the will of God today. And that's why we said at that time that a ready person never needs to get ready. They are ready all the time. That should be our reality. So with those background points in mind, let's consider what Jesus says here. The Pharisees came to Jesus in their ongoing quest to trap him or to trip him up. And they ask him, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus responds that they won't be able to observe the coming of the kingdom of God. They won't be able to see it. They won't be able to say, see, I see these three things, therefore this. Why? Why does he say this? He says, instead, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Remember, this is Jesus speaking, and we've already seen in all the, the scriptures leading up to this that he is declaring the kingdom of God. John the Baptist was declaring that the kingdom of God was coming. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is now here. So Jesus says this to the Pharisees. So how should we understand the coming of the kingdom of, the, of God? First and foremost, we have to recognize the kingdom of God in our midst. You see, the Pharisees, they had determined for themselves what the kingdom of God would be like, how it would come, when it would come, what the signs would be. They had it all worked out. And they said, Rome will be overturned. Israel will be vindicated. There will be signs and wonders accompanying the appearance of the Messiah. And an earthly kingdom of the Messiah will be established. This is what they were looking for. Right? Jesus and his ministry didn't fit that. 
Jesus comes as a lowly carpenter's son, and he, you know, he's moving around with the poor and the sick, and I mean, he, the, the sinners, the, the, the not the Pharisees. I mean, his his ministry didn't fit their understanding or their expectations, and so they missed, they missed Jesus. They missed the very coming of the kingdom of God. Now, now why did the Pharisees, who knew the scriptures, who knew the Old Testament, why, why didn't they get it right? You know, people have asked this question even before. How come Jewish people who are reading the same Old Testament that we are, how come they don't see this? How come they don't see these references to the Messiah and say, oh, that's obviously Jesus? Because if you read the Old Testament, it, in general, it does not clearly separate the two comings of Christ. It describes the day of the Lord coming when God would deal finally with sin and defeat his enemies and gather his people into a kingdom of peace and righteousness and joy and that the, in the day of the Lord, the earth and the heavens would be made new and glorious and the Messiah would rule forever and ever. But if you didn't listen carefully to what the word was saying and then more importantly to what Jesus was saying, as he came on into the earth, as he declared that now with his coming, the kingdom of God had come into the earth, if you didn't rely on his explanation of the scriptures, if you were depending on your own interpretation of the scriptures, you would not have realized that the day of the Lord, the coming of the kingdom of God would happen in two stages. First and foremost, it was with Jesus coming as a suffering servant to atone for sin. And second, it was Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. But you would miss that if you didn't yield, if you didn't pay attention to what Jesus was saying. So this mystery, this secret of the arrival of the kingdom of God in a preliminary in an initial small way, and then being consummated when all the enemies of sin and death and Satan and sickness and suffering, all of that would be gone. Remember when we talked about kingdom growth in Luke chapter 13? We said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, small, insignificant. Jesus said kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You don't even pay attention to it. If, you've, if you're wearing glasses or you're, you know, you're getting along in ages, you don't even see it. But, you know, he said, it's going to grow tremendously. And it's that statement that is necessary for us to understand that there is a fulfillment of the kingdom of God with the coming of Jesus, all that has been leading up to that, but a consummation of the kingdom of God only when he returns again. So we look forward to his coming for the kingdom of God that has now been initiated, that is now growing tremendously to be fully consummated when he returns. So when Jesus speaks to the Pharisees, he's speaking about this already, not yet. Partially here, partially for the future. He's speaking about that kind of a reality of the kingdom of God. So what's the lesson for us? We have to be careful that we don't focus our attention 
or resort to our own interpretations about the consummation of the kingdom of God. Right now, because of all that's happening in the world around us, there are lots of things saying these are the signs. This is the sign that this is now the end of the world, or this is the beginning of sorrows, or this is the Antichrist, or this is the work of Antichrist. Lots of different things. Now, I'm not at all saying that there isn't truth to that or that we shouldn't listen to what people would say and what we would hear. But you must do it in light of the word of God, not according to what people will just say. Which is what, exactly what Jesus is speaking to them. And he's speaking to the Pharisees and he's saying to them, look, it's not because of your careful observation. You won't be able to observe these things and say, I see this, I see this, I see this, therefore this. You won't be able to do that. You have to trust that the kingdom of God that will come unexpectedly, that will come like a flash of lightning, that will do all of these things, you have to expect, you have to be prepared that God will fulfill that in his time according to his purpose. What do you do? Just get ready. So you don't worry about and you don't interpret these things. Some of you may be old enough to remember 88 reasons for the rapture in 1988. Right? There was a book, there was a whole movement. I mean, it got a lot of attention. It's long enough old enough now that most of you have never even heard of it. But the author did this whole thing about 88 reasons why the rapture would take place in 1988. 1988 came and went and then he actually revised the book and published it later saying 89 reasons for the rapture in 89. And after that it stopped. Right? But you, there are plenty of these kinds of things all around you. There are lots of people saying this is it. This is the, I have observed these things. I have studied this. I have gone through this and here it is. Okay. But Jesus is saying, hey, look, this is, this is not what you need to focus on. This is not what you need to pay attention to. In fact, after he says this to the Pharisees in verses 20 and 21 of Luke 17, the Bible says he then spoke to the disciples. He shifts his attention. And in Luke 17, verses 22 to 36, or even through the end of the chapter, 37, he's speaking to the disciples. What does he say to the disciples? The essence of the message to them, to his disciples, and therefore to us as the present day disciples of Jesus, the essence of the message that he shares is this. Stay true to the Lord. Stay true to Jesus. Because Jesus knew that very soon he was going to be separated from the disciples. He was going to have to stand trial. He was going to be put to death. He would be resurrected only to return to heaven, to ascend into heaven. And he knew that the disciples who are clinging to him now would be at a great loss and great turmoil when he's not there. And he knew that in that turmoil, they would so long for his return, they would be so eager for him to return that they could be deceived by false messiahs. That's what he says. He says, don't be fooled. Don't be misled. When I come, when I return, it'll be very clear. 
when lightning flashes from one end of the sky to the other, you notice it. Right? You could be even looking down. You could be busy on your phone. But when that flash of lightning cuts across the sky, boy, you notice it. Right? It's not just a little thunderbolt, you know, or I mean, a little lightning strike here or somewhere far away. When lightning flashes from one end of the sky to the other, oh, it'll be obvious. People will know. You won't have to guess. Is this Jesus? Is this the Lord? No. It'll be pretty obvious. So Jesus says, don't worry. Don't be, don't be misled. Don't be so eager for me to return that when you hear somebody say, here he is, or there he is, or this is it, that you go there, that you start running in that direction. No. Wait on me. See, we have a tendency. We have a tendency because we are human to become weary of the struggles and cares of this world. In fact, Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is Paul writing this. I mean, this is, what, this is the same person who says, oh, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain and no problem, you know, we've been through all sorts of hardships, everything else. But he's honestly referring to this, this situation, the circumstance where he says, we were so heavily burdened that we despaired of life itself. Well, you know, we were, it were, and how many times have you seen in the scriptures where people say, it's enough, just take me home, I'm done. It's enough. So we tend to be very easily wearied. We can become fatigued. We can become burdened. We can despair. Our mental health condition can deteriorate very quickly. It is difficult to be content, to give thanks in all circumstances, to pray without ceasing, to be joyful, to remain at rest, to not be anxious, to be patient, it's difficult. So we look for signs that the Messiah must be returning soon. It's getting tough. Life's getting really difficult. Everything seems to be really tough. I think the stock market's gonna crash. I think my children are going awry. I think sin is increasing. I think the world is getting worse. Jesus, we need you to come. Right? And again, it's not that we wouldn't desire for his coming. But why are you desiring for his coming? Because you're despairing of life? Or because you are ready at any time? There's a difference. There's a difference. You can desire for him to come out of fear. Or you can desire for him to come out of faith. There's a difference. When we look for the signs that the Messiah must be returning soon, so that we can be done with all our struggles and our cares and our worries and all our fears, that puts us in a vulnerable place. Because then there's a lack of discernment. Then there's confusion about what we hear. Because somebody who says to us, this is it, if you just do this, you will be free. You will be 
happy. You'll be well. He said, oh, that must be it. Surely the Lord is doing that. That is why Jesus says to the disciples that when people tell you all sorts of things, do not go running off after them. Instead, we are to focus on Jesus and what he says. You know, after listing all the names in Hebrews chapter 11 of those who persevered in faith, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 2 says this, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you have begun in the spirit, the Bible cautions us, warns us, not to try to finish in the flesh. It's not based on what we do. It's not based on what we know. It's not based on our understanding of the signs. It's to us to say, Jesus, I look to you. The author, the one who initiated all this in me, the one who started this good work in me, the one who brought me into life, you are the author. You are also the finisher of my faith. I don't need to look anywhere else. I don't need to be concerned about anything else. I don't need to be worrying whether 666 in Revelation means this or that. I don't need to. I can simply say, Jesus, I look to you. And you are the one in whom I can finish my race well. You are the one that will take me and preserve me and hold me and bring me before the throne of God. Our dependence on Jesus is not just to gain entry into the kingdom of God here in this earth. Our dependence on Jesus is to preserve us until we finish the race and are joined with him for eternity, whether we die or he returns, whichever comes first. It is starting and finishing in him. We remain true to Jesus. But staying true, true to Jesus, and Jesus goes on in terms of how he's speaking to the disciples, staying true to Jesus requires one very important commitment. Because he says, don't be preoccupied with worldly things. Jesus describes the people of Noah's day and Lot's day in similar ways. Different time period, different set of circumstances, different judgment that comes upon them. But he describes them in similar ways. He says they were eating, drinking, marrying, buying and selling, planting and building. You notice in that list he doesn't mention anything wicked, anything evil. doesn't talk about any sin. He says they were eating, drinking, marrying, buying and selling, planting and building. They were good citizens, right? They were doing everything that 
we would say we should be doing, shouldn't we? We want to be eating, drinking, marrying, making sure our kids get married well, buying, selling, planting, and building. Nothing wrong with that list. All necessary activities that people were doing. Do you know what the difference is? The difference is that these group of people were so preoccupied with these activities that they did not hear, heed the warning of God and they did not receive the rescue of God. In both situations, it is clear that God has given warnings. In both situations, it is clear that God gives a rescue, a way out. People did not listen. They lived in their wickedness and their sin, but they were preoccupied with self, with furthering their own desires, with building their own empires, with doing things that would satisfy the flesh. And when the flesh is never satisfied, we've looked at that scripture too. When the rich man says, oh, I have big barns. I'll, I have more than I even need. I'll build even bigger barns. The flesh is never satisfied. But Jesus is saying that these activities that people were indulging in or were engrossed in, were totally and completely fixated on, it so overwhelmed them that they did not listen to God. Noah preached for 120 years. That's what the Bible speaks about. If you look at the timing and the description and what he's speaking, throughout the course of him building this ark, the people are seeing this ark being built. And he's telling them, judgment is coming. This is going to happen. But they are so preoccupied with themselves, with eating, drinking, marrying, buying and selling, planting and building, that they didn't pay attention to God. We stand in danger of the same preoccupation today. We can become so preoccupied with the cares of this world, our layoffs coming, what's going to happen, companies are going bankrupt, what will happen in another month. We can be so concerned and overwhelmed with the cares of riches that we don't heed the truth. We don't pay attention to the way. We don't live the life that Jesus has called us to. We don't come to Jesus. We're looking at all of the other things. And so Jesus says, don't be preoccupied with the things of this world and don't hold on to life on earth. Jesus said to the disciples, Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. Whoever tries to keep their life on this earth, that means that you focus solely on all these activities, you will not pay attention to the kingdom of God or enter the kingdom of God, and therefore you lose eternal life. Whoever loses their life on this earth meaning you die to self and you're raised up to new life in Christ Jesus. You give up your rights. You give up your pleasures. You die to your desires. You crucify the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And you do all that for the sake of the kingdom of God. You gain eternal life. 
You see, the problem with Lot's wife was that there was something back in Sodom that had a hold of her heart and her mind. She knew she had to run. She knew that there was something, judgment was coming. Maybe it was even starting. And she's actually on her way out. But the Bible says, she turned back. There was something there that still had a hold of her. There was something there that she was still holding on to herself. And Jesus is saying, be careful. Do not hold on to life on this earth or the things of life on this earth. Don't hold on to those things so tightly, so closely, that when Jesus says to move, you can't. It's like you are bound, handcuffed to what this is, and you have no freedom. When we let go, when we're not holding on to those things, when they don't have a hold on us, and Jesus says, go, we say, sure. Where do you want me to go, Lord? How quickly do you want me to move, Lord? How should I do this, Lord? We move. Jesus gives us everything that we need to understand what we need for the coming of the kingdom of God. He doesn't spell it out. He doesn't say to them, okay, wait for these many days. Then this will happen. Then you do this. Then this next thing will happen. He simply says, you be ready. Which means that we have to understand how we need to respond. And we respond by living ready versus trying to figure out the future. We respond by being ready at all times. Not because we know the signs. Not because we know the date. Not because we have it all figured out. Not because like the Pharisees we can say, we know what's supposed to happen. Now let me ask you, Jesus, when do you think is the coming of the kingdom of God? No. We're coming to him and we say, Lord, we trust you. We look to you. We obey you. We walk in your ways. And whenever it is the coming of the kingdom of God, let us be found with you. Let us be taken with you. Let us be joined to you. Oh, we worship you. We glorify your name. So we don't run after revelations. We live steady, consistent, perseverant lives in the Lord. We live boring lives. We just keep moving, keep doing, keep running, keep going, keep doing, keep being faithful. Somebody looks at your life and says, oh, I don't see this, I don't see this. Look at that person. Don't worry. Don't worry. Keep going. Keep being ready. Keep living by the power that God has already given us. Keep doing every day what he has asked us to do. Keep staying in step in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. Live according to the word we have already heard. Live ready for his return. And that means that every week, as we have been speaking about this, these words, and as I mentioned at the beginning, in our time of worship, when we come to the Lord and worship him, we, would, we want to hear his word to us. And then we want to apply that word. And we want to say, Lord, 
What should I do with this work? What should happen in my life that should be different? And so this, this morning, I want to encourage you that we apply what we learn. We apply what we learn as an act of worship to God, as our faithful, obedient service to the Lord and the master of our lives. We apply by living up to what we have already attained. Philippians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Therefore, let us live up to what we have already attained. It's not that we, like I said right at the beginning of this message, it's not like these are all new things. These are repetition. This is a repetition message. It's reinforcing the same themes. It's reinforcing the same truths. It's things we've heard. Maybe all of our lives we've heard this. But let's live up to it. Let's live up to what we have already attained. Let us put into practice what we have learned. We make our calling and our election sure. We know who we are as children of God, even what we were singing about. We say to the Lord, Lord, let your will be done in my life. Let it, to, let it be to me as you have said. We obey the Lord. We desire to be baptized in water and to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We manifest the power of the Holy Spirit. We set godly expectations. We recognize the time of Jesus coming to us. We receive the message of the kingdom of God with joy. We share the good news of the kingdom of God with everyone. We pray. We guard against hypocrisy. We don't presume. We serve, we forgive, we give thanks. We trust the Lord. All that we have already heard, all that we have already attained, let's live up to it. Let's come to the Lord to say, Lord, help me to be living ready. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. The Lord, as we turn our attention to your word and we apply your word, this week, I pray, Father, that you will speak to each one of us. And you're going to speak to each one of us differently, individually, personally. And you're going to show us, Lord, what we need to live up to. It won't be one thing that is true for the whole church. It'll be what each one of us have to live up to. Maybe, Lord, in one area of our lives, we have lived up in that way. We have lived up to what we have attained and we are walking in the strength and in the fullness of life that you have ordained for us. We praise you for that and we pray that we would encourage others in that area. And Lord, for other areas in our lives where we've heard these truths, where we've, Lord, known that this is what you've said to us, but we just haven't lived up to it. We haven't applied. We haven't paid attention to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, to that still small voice that says, this is the way, walk in it. Lord, I pray that this week you would speak to each one of us and you would cause us, Lord, to pay attention. Help us, Father. Grant us grace, Lord. Do your work, Lord. Father, we just want to take a few minutes. Oh, Lord God, and examine ourselves in light of the word to commit ourselves in light of the word, to obey in light of the word. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, Jesus. Touch every heart, Lord. 
each, every person that is listening to this word. And Father, for those of you, those that are listening, that do not know you, that don't understand what it means to come into the kingdom of God, I pray, Lord, that even now, they would say, Jesus, I receive you, I believe you, I need you. I need life. I need, I need eternal life with you. Lord God, let every single person who does not know that you are the entryway into the kingdom of God, that you are that door, that you are the way. Lord, let them turn to you today. Speak to them, Jesus. Hallelujah. And Father, for every single person who knows you, who has been ushered in, who has gained entry into the kingdom of God, I pray right now, Lord, that what you have begun, that good work that you have begun in them, that, Lord, they would yield to you and remain in you for you to finish that work. Lord God, we can get distracted. We can get confused. But you give clarity. You give wisdom. So, Lord, we pray that you would cause us to look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Every morning, every Sunday morning, we want to do two things regularly. We remember that we are to die to self and to be raised up to new life in Christ Jesus. It is a reminder, even in the name of the church, that we, we want to die to self. Every single week, we want to say this. We want to die to self and to be raised up to new life in Christ Jesus. And we want to receive what the Lord would do in our lives to make that possible. And then every Sunday morning, as we worship the Lord like this, we want to receive the blessings of God. We are blessed by God to receive his promises, his power, and most importantly, his presence. He is with us. He promises to be with us, to go before us, and to lead and to guide us. So in light of this word that we've shared together this morning, I want to speak a word of blessing over you. Let's just stand together. Those that are here in the sanctuary can stand. Those that are at home, I don't know if you're standing, but you can if you would like. I want to just encourage you to receive this word of blessing, this promise of God. Every week as we speak these words of blessing, we go to a word in the word, we go to a scripture, we go to the word, and we say, based on this word, I speak this word of blessing over you. And so this morning, based on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 24, in light of this word on the kingdom of God, I speak this word. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it.
God bless.